Today's Daily DVR is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Head on over to Cufflinks.com and use code DVR20 to save 20% off your order, no minimum. You've heard me talk about Cufflinks before. You know all the awesome, geeky, as well as super high-class products they have. And if you check their homepage, they're always listing a bunch of deals for you. And, of course, I did just tell you one, DVR20. So go ahead and use that. And you know what? You still got to look good, people. We know you got to be careful out there. We still got corona going on, but you can still look good if you're zooming it or even if you're just walking past someone looking outside a window. So head on over to cufflinks.com today. Use code DVR20 and save. Thank you, Cufflinks. Welcome back, everyone, to DVR Does Mine Hunter. Today, we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 8, the penultimate episode before the finale. I'm your host, Heath Solo. With me is Axel Foley. And if you want to learn more about the DVR Podcasting Network, just go to dvrpodcast.com. You check out all we're doing, new things for the new year, 2021. It's going to be exciting. And also, you know, if you want exclusive content, like the other day I dropped, uh, we dropped a uh, my buddy Cobbles from <laughs> from the UK. We did a whole, uh, had some friends on, and we did a whole like hour and a half, two hour, you know, ramble. And it was pretty, uh, pretty funny. Let's say, but it's only for Patreons. But what you can do is go to patreon.com slash DVR. And for a little as a couple bucks a month, you can get that exclusive content right to you and get a lot of pods like this one before they get released to the public. We don't ask for a lot, but it helps support us. And then we can do more content the more uh, patrons we have. So enough of that. I'm Heath Solo, and I got to welcome in. The mine hunter himself, Mr. Axel Foley. Hello, Axel. What up, Solo? Thank you for the wonderful introduction. I am ready to hunt some mines. This episode was fantastic. It, there's so many things that come to a head, like many, you know, we all remember back in the day, Heath, when we were first covering Lost. And people were like, the penultimate episode is coming up. <laughs> and we'd be like, what are you talking? The penultimate episode. Everybody was into it, right? Like, because I think really Damon and Carlton kind of started that in their podcast. Remember, oh. they kept on saying that. Um, Damon was like, the penultimate, the penultimate. He loved that word. Yeah. And um, I think now we recognize that in many ways, as it is in like the three act storytelling, the conclude the the big um apex happens and then the last episode is basically kind of like the wrapping up right mm-hmm. and what we see here in mine hunter is that i feel we have our emotional wrap ups because they are really working on a big case And frequently in the past on this show, when they were working a case, it came together very quickly, right? Right, right. They said uh, Holden was able to come in and say, it's Dr. Mudd in the jacket showing his weenie in the schoolyard. You know what I'm saying? And then everyone would be like, Holden, oh, you're a genius. But in this case, 
it's months of hard work as we see in this episode with the great montage scene and right. and dedication that are going to bring them finally to even have a viable suspect right jeez so i think that they the show unlike last season where holden's breakdown was at the like the very end of the episode that led us out of the season we got our emotional uh, kind of conclusion with almost everybody in this episode here. And I found it very satisfying. Yeah, it, it's funny. <laughs> uh, before podcasting, I didn't know what penultimate was. I didn't know what a fortnight was. And maybe Evil Incarnate, I never heard. But that's just some things <laughs> through the years, Axel. But, uh, but you're right. It's very, very emotional and it 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 it, yeah 100 correct it dealt with everyone except our boy greg (laughs) i guess he has no emotional uh things going on yeah he kind of got his though that i think he was accepted in he was he was forgiven no i know i was just more being funny axel but you you were right though in this i was thinking of greg actually as i was talking (laughs) that's why i said (laughs) almost everybody because i was was thinking of gun and greg and i was like you know what's we didn't really get we'll see but we'll see next episode yeah but um it it really sets up because the the finale is gonna be okay the suspect at the end they have that they believe could be the killer uh, and, and everything that surrounds it. Uh, and they touched upon a lot of things this episode. But we we did we ha- finally got back. We didn't have a cold open with BTK. Now they do it. Now, my question for you with the cold open was, do you know if this was the Otero's house or the Catherine Bright? Because earlier in the season, uh, the, you know, the Catherine Bright killing and then Kevin got shot in the head, I believe, and escaped right. and he. You know, they interview him. Uh, Don't look at me in the car. That really emotional scene that Bill Tench just takes over and is amazing. And um, because the Oteros was at 803 North Edgemont Street. Catherine Bright's is 3217 uh, 13th Street North. And I both houses to me, I guess, in a glimpse, look the same. So I wasn't sure what they were because he. He, he looks like he's ready to do something. And then, of course, um, he sees that she's not alone. And I don't think that was Kevin, but it could have been one of the brothers. So cause I know the Oteros, there were um, a bunch of, you know, the whole family and stuff. So what do you I, think? I, I think it was uh, Catherine because. OK. Yeah, it doesn't it does not look like the same people. I don't I think that's interesting that you're wondering that because it speaks to. Uh, the order that they do things with his mm. tail, right? Um, right. But to me, I was I was a little perplexed by this one. It was so quick, right? It, mm-hmm. it was. I mean, it was perfectly shot with the way that the 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 camera pulls in with the car, then it moves over. You see the people and then a car goes by and the camera moves by with that car. Like, it's, I mean, it's just perfect cinematography. So it's really the music. It's really kind of creepy and he's watching them. But I felt it was a little like um, 
I don't know. I was, it was a little, uh, little quick for me. I wanted more BTK in this one. I was trying to actually come up with how this kind of goes with the episode, right? Kind mm-hmm. of thematically even, or even, um, just image. The only thing I could come up with is the stakeout. They did so much of the staking out later on in the episode, Holden and, and mm-hmm. Kench, that that's really the only kind of comment I had on this intro. I hadn't really thought about who even it was. Yeah. I think the only thing was when he was, I, and I, and I'm sorry for the listeners if I, if I don't get this correct, because unfortunately we covered the beginning of the season, like almost a year ago. Um, but was it the bright house where he got surprised or was it the Otero house? Cause he gets surprised thinking that only someone's home and then realized, you know, a brother or someone else. And I'm wondering if right, showing but that was, uh, Oh, I understand. I don't believe it's... that this is that case Heath, because that okay, was a case okay. in which he had broken into the house. Okay. In that case that they were talking about, I believe he had actually entered the house itself so, no, heard someone else and then quickly left. And that's how they knew he was there. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Cause, cause, cause the big thing I got out of this scene was he was ready and then saw that she was with someone, a male rather tall and he drives off. So I don't know. Interesting. Well, you know, what, I mean? know what, it, when we do the re the mind hunter rewatch before season three, right. We're going to clear this up. <laughs> yeah. It was almost like I got to find all the BTK sequences or even when they talk about BTK, if someone put it all together on YouTube, just BTK stuff in order. It's not that hard. I mean, you know, we it's something that we can find or do. Hell, maybe that's an idea for an episode. Maybe we do a BTK episode. Right. We We just track down everything and yeah, we match it. I like that. There you go. I like that. I kind of like that. We got and ideas. maybe go into the BT case a little more and, mm-hmm. you know, see what, you know, that, you know, I, I, you know, things like this. That's why they did the cold open, Axel. So we'd get more content. That's exactly hunter. why. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> All right. So uh, once again, Carl Franklin directed this episode yeah. and we'll hit it, Axel. But I love so much of his framing, um, especially we'll get to it. But the Nance outside when Nance is smoking a cigarette and Bill mm. comes up. Oh, the way that was shot. Unbelievable. Yeah, this episode, Um, I agree with you, Heath. I feel, I really feel like last episode, and you have to make these kind of choices. um, And I think that they sat down and they said, look, we're taking a little more time in this episode and we're going to give the cinematographer, we're going to give... Uh, the director, an opportunity to block out, and we're going to do some really great camera stuff. But last episode, they were like, look, we got to tell a story. We got to keep it moving a bit. Let's do more traditional uh, setups, and let's move through this. Because you can just, even from this shot alone, the tone that it was setting uh, with this open, like I'm saying, with the way the camera is is watching, like he's watching, it it's so beautiful, and it just gives me like a chill, like as a cameraman myself watching the way it sweeps back to the person with the car. I was just like, "Yep, 
we're back in the, back in the hands of the masters, even though last episode was still beautifully shot and everything just didn't have that same technique and that same kind of grace that this episode has. Well, since I brought it up, I, cause I always, when I listen to podcasts and they talk about, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that. Like, you know what? It's DVR does mind Hunter. We could talk about it anytime. Let's hit Bill and Nance stuff and Brian. Okay. Let's let's change it up, Axel, and let's 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 work with the emotional stuff. Then we'll go to the case. Um, so, right now, of course, this whole season, Nance has been wanting Bill to be home. We need you here. Our son isn't so much. You know, I can't do this myself. And Bill's. We talked about it. Bill looks like he's going to have a heart attack. But there's that scene where he comes in and Nance is smoking the cigarette, and he sits behind her. But they shoot it in such a way that you see both and you're like, who do I focus on? But you're kind of on Nance, but you're always checking out Bill. And then the camera moves into them. And then, of course, when Nance leaves, he walks around and we just get a shot of Bill. Freaking amazing. But she she mentions that, um, you know, she's going to sell the couch. She's looks like she's getting ready. Like, I know we we talked about moving, but Bill's like, wait till Atlanta's over. Um but Nance is already set. We need we we Brian and our family, us. We need a change of scenery. But but she says I'm I'm just so happy that Brian didn't come out of my body. Like she mm. really gets deep. Yeah. And Bill, I think, is at a point. Axel, what the hell do I do now? Uh, you know, it's one of the first times he doesn't have answers. These two scenes, which is we first see them in the therapist's office, psychiatrist or psychologist's yeah, the waiting office room. in the, the waiting room. room, and they're sitting side by side. And then you're right. The next time we see them, um, Nance is in the foreground, and then Bill comes in from the background in the backyard and never sits next to her, is always never. behind her, right? And even mm-hmm. as she... When she gets up to leave, she doesn't even really stop to acknowledge him. She sweeps right past him and then is behind him. And then he's in the foreground. I think it's, again, the spacing that, like I talked about a couple episodes ago, when they kept on putting lights in between them um, Mm -hmm. or framing them away from each other when they come together and apart. And this is another example of them kind of doing this this dance that's happening and that's just the visual aspects i loved in the first scene where they're where he's trying not to talk nance oh i know you know and he's and even and in this too he's sitting in the back and he's very subdued i think really he's made he 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 is so numb at this point and so worn down from traveling and from his job and from what the hell, just everything, he just can't fight anymore. And right. him giving in is actually a beautiful thing. And it solves a lot of problems if maybe Bill hasn't noticed because um, Holden is not the only one being myopic, right? Mm-hmm. He, um, he, Bill too, is being that way and he's trying to try to control these things that he can't control and what she says to him is so heartbreaking 
and encapsulates everything that they've been scared about, which is that they have inadvertently adopted Satan, you know, right. or that and the questions he's having of, did I make him this way? Was he born this way? And now her saying, I'm glad he wasn't born of me. It's real. It just breaks open this whole dance that they've been having and allows Nance just wants to take control in some way. And you know what? They should. He should allow her to make if this is what she needs. What the hell does it, it just, matter to him? He's never even there. I know. It, and that's one thing. I mean, we're Bill guys. Bill's my favorite. Holt McNally or McCallie. I forget. How do you pronounce his last name? McElaney. McEl- McElaney. I love that dude. I want, we got to do a lights out Leary pod. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, he, he tries hard, but he always still pushes off like after this, or we'll talk about this. I it's past the point of no return asking about moving closer to Alexandria and a fresh start. If Bill just would have said, you know what, Nance, you're right. Let's do that. Let's get this emotion. I still got to work in Atlanta, but uh, we need a change. But he doesn't go there yet, and he he unfortunately has so much on his plate that he misreads that. It almost feels like, or uh, and does he feel like he has he can't do it? Because Nance is like a zombie now; she's like in a trance. And I, I I just you know, and she's going out. She, she, I don't know when. Doesn't know when she's gonna be home for dinner. To the hey, mall you gotta or pick something. Up Ryan. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like it's amazing that I think Bill wants to give her her space, but. He, for whatever reason, he just doesn't give it and be like, all right, we got to do this. Like, we're going to sell the house, sell the couch. What? You know, and, and that's where they get disconnected. It, it goes on too long. And even if he said, I'll sell the house, I wonder if Nance would still, I mean, would that probably would have helped a lot because she feels like she's not getting any small victories in this, the give and take. Yeah, she's not getting it. You know, and so unfortunately, you know, with the job and everything, you know, Bill just doesn't see it. Um, he does pick up Brian. Brian won't talk. He takes him out for ice cream, tells about a, a fishing trip him and his pops went on. And then the first words we hear from Brian are, did the fish die or whatever? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm like, what? Yeah, that's some serial kill. Dude, let me let me say this. There were. And I think this was done purposefully. The end of the episode, right? And when they pull over the suspect and he says, well, I guess this is about them dead kids, right? You know, like immediately (laughs) goes to the murder. And Brian immediately goes to the, like the murder angle. And I think that that was, uh, that scene with Brian was again so beautifully shot too and the music playing in the background um just ama- amazing stuff the the whole little diner therein looks so great but you're waiting for there to be some sort of happy conclusion for mm-hmm. you know him to go no Brian it, the fish didn't die, but I learned that life and death and blah, blah, blah. But no, they just <laughs> sit there looking at each other. 
He's like, can I have some more of your ice cream? Yeah, it's just like, this no, is, but- it's just like Mine Hunter. So, and like the subtitle of Mine Hunter is Life Continues to Be Shitty. <laughs> so like, right. Just, I'm going to have a smoke while my kids yeah. eat uh, ice cream. But I have uh, to say, though, um, that was actually really important because it, Brian wanted him to talk to him, you know, and he wanted someone, I think, to just kind of talk about it and be real about it. And so much of what we've seen with Bill has been him keeping it all in, not talking Mm -hmm. about it, suppressing, which is something they talk about all the time, right? Controlling everything trying to manipulate all the situations he can to get the maximum benefit for himself. And what are these, uh, again, marks of things that serial killers do? Control, manipulation, right? And this is what he's practicing as well. And that's why it's so brilliant the way kind of Nance really, she really breaks through it by going to the mall. She's like, fuck it, fuck you, fuck this house, fuck this kid. I'm going and to Macy's couch. and the couch. <laughs> Fuck this couch. Fuck your couch. I'm going to Macy's. I'm going to Bamberger's, you know, like, or, or, um, I'm going to Walden books as we see in the other. I know. Later. Walden, I but you stole that from me. <laughs> I know Walden books. Man. I just, I, I'm a sucker for eighties nostalgia. Yeah. They <laughs> broke know? the production design in this episode. You know, it's funny, everybody was so hepped up, I don't want to date the podcast, but for when like Wonder Woman 1984 came out, and they were in a mall, and it was like, I didn't relate to anything, but they can be in a mall, and then a little malt shop or whatever, and play a song for two seconds, and you instantly feel like you're actually there. Oh, I um, felt like I was in 84 yeah, it was, once they did that. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it really, they, they're, the production design on this show is second to none. Um, but you know, this, that's what a lot of, I think the, this was about breaking through, trying to, um, see the light, uh, uh, letting go of control, not manipulating, but accepting. And I think that's a lot of what Bill did this episode with Barb here. Uh, I'm Bar- I always say Barb. Barb I don't know why I always bring up Barb. Barb. Na- Barb. Like Nancy and Barb. This is like, it's like every, every uh, friend of my mother's was named like Nance or Barb when I was a kid too. Right. Oh, I know. I know. Your mom and it's, there there is a Nancy show where there's a Barb and I yeah, can't, from I, it, I can't I place why. it. Maybe that was his Barb. wife and lights out. And that's why I keep on bringing <laughs> that up. I think it might've been. Um, but anyway, it's I think it's wonderful this kind of uh trifecta of scenes here, the two with Nance and then with Brian, and then it really culminates in the big discussion or I wouldn't really call it an argument, it's really a breakthrough he has with Holden standing by the river where he just yeah. tells him everything and he's honest, and then it's like all you feel so much better after that happens. You're like, now we can just get to the murder. Like, honestly speaking, if Bill had told Holden what was going on and trusted him, things would have been better. Yeah. But the thing is that that's not necessarily Bill. 
of course, until he yeah. has to, yep. you know, you know yep. and that's why. But You're yes, right. we talked about that last episode as well. If he had just told Holden, he would have so much leeway. And but, but he but during that discussion, like finally, because I mean, Holden's being a dick to him again, totally because he hasn't been around. And, and so he finally builds like, screw it, get over here. Uh, and then they go at it and, and you can see Holden's reactions like, oh, Bill, I, I wish you would have just told me. And, and I mean, and he's like, and I'm supposed to be here watching over you so you don't screw up the first time we're in the spotlight. And Holden's like re, little reactions are so Holden. But it, it's like in order for them to solve this case and finish it, it almost seemed this needed to happen. Yeah. And, and and Bill finally was like, you know what? I think Bill is finally just at a point where it's like, all right, here it is. I don't want to talk about it. Here it is. Don't give me your freaking pity or sympathy. It is what it is. Let's let's move on. Yeah. And 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 that was a great scene by the river. And then our boy Celtics fan Jim Barney is in the you know background <laughs> kind of listening. Dude, you know what's weird? After watching the episode, I just start talking to myself and i just say jim barney jim barney i don't know why i guess probably because i love jim barney so much i'm just like what i just i'm like character man oh i love jim barney i want the jim barney show like i'm i'm i do if there ever is a season three um i would suspect that jim will would play a huge role in it um i would hope so and based based on having read slash listen to a bunch of these books now too i i definitely know that jim would have played a huge role in it and i think it would have been a you know well uh, let's not speculate that that's for another pod but i want to stay with that scene um, okay because i think that that scene with holden really is actually the fourth scene in the bill clearing his head you know Right. Yes. Uh, I think it's yes. a, it's a it's a part of the Barb and Brian stuff. First Barb. Of, oh, I did it again. Of Nance and Brian stuff. <laughs> and I think that first off, I just want to point out the framing where you get the guys picking up the body in the background over to the left. Jim is between Holden and Tench, right? And all four mm-hmm. of them are lined up and he's in the background too. It's just absolutely beautiful with the river on the side. Again, taking the time to set up this blocking and this cinematography is amazing. But the way that Bill just kind of lets it go made me feel so good because just like we were talking about last episode, Remember when they were sitting in the hotel next to each other and Holden was kind of rubbing <laughs> his leg and they were I don't like, know if he was rubbing his leg but it he was kind of rubbing his leg. He was like it. I mean he was no, it wasn't it, it wasn't like was, sexual. It was he just want it's like it was his yeah. dad. He wanted to give him a hug, you know what I mean? It was like he felt security from him and love. And that's, No, I know what you mean. Yeah. And yeah. it does speak to me because I think so much of this show is about mental health and is about uh, emotions and clarity and honesty. And even though it is such a dark show, I find it to be so loving and beautiful because that moment was, was the moment where Bill let it all out. He trusted Holden and the look in Holden's eyes was absolute empathy, love, 
sorrow. He felt the first thing he says is, I'm sorry, Bill. You know what? Yeah. And he realizes instantly what a fucking prick he's been the whole time. And he's so sad. But it's so funny because Bill being Bill, he he sees that and he lightens up a little, but he still has to throw in the, and you look like hell, go take a Xanax. <laughs> yeah. Valium. Valium. Oh, Valium. I'm sorry. So, but, uh, I but took I was the Xanax. Too. He took the Valium. Yeah. Well, because, you know, especially when freaking Holden is like, yeah, we've all watched Dragnet, Bill. Like, oh, yes. oh, God. I was like, Holden, what are you doing? I'll watch Dragnet, Bill. Oh boy, yeah, that was well, that's tough. a great, yeah. And I, I want to kind of stay in the emotional. Uh, I want, I really want to hit the Wendy and Kay stuff. Um, I, I found it very interesting, and it was uh, so we had Patty Smith dancing barefoot in Kay's apartment, uh, which was uh, good. There's a lot of good tunes in this episode. Yeah, um, so you know they're, you know talking about you know going to dinner and all that and then lo and behold Kay's ex-husband and kids show up and she's like oh my god I got the weekends mixed up and so as she's talking to her ex and the son of course the big thing is you know the husband even goes you know she's like I may want to introduce him to someone and the husband's like well is this person real important to you this relationship and she goes, no, and that's what kills Wendy. But the way they shoot Wendy, listening to the conversation, it's like shadows dark. And she's approaching slowly mm-hmm. like a horror movie towards. And you don't quite see her lit up the end a little bit, but there's still – it was just like the tense moment. Like you, you almost felt like yeah. a serial killer was going to come out and stab her. Yep. Like it was shot so interesting. I mean it's like how do you – you have this scene on paper – how do you shoot this in the mine hunter way? And they did. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you were, you, I'm sure you love that the way they are, the way the choice they made there. Oh dude, or, it's absolutely beautiful. The, the, it, it's not only a difference in something simple as she's on the left side and the kids on the right, but it's the depth of the down, down the stairs. You can never see mm-hmm. her husband's face. And I'm trying to figure out what actor it is, who that is, <laughs> right? It's like the Charlie Brown, wah, 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 right? Like you, but this time you can hear him speaking directly, but you never see his face. You never get a sense of exactly what his emotion is, but you can distinctly hear from Kay's voice and the way she is changing her, like her voice like that to to appease him or to seem more feminine as well. Right, right, right. right. More traditionally feminine. Um, and you're right. When the kid starts up the stairs and Wendy kind of pulls back and hides and then, and then you're, you're for a second, you can't tell who the monster is, right? Right. <laughs> is it that the kid is going to be, Oh, there's a monster up the stairs, or are we scared for her that a monster is coming from her? And you're you you hit the nail on the head by taking a normal scene like this, but adding the elements of suspense, horror, serial killer genre to it. We see how we can relate to something very 
mundane and everyday, like BTK driving a car on a rainy day into something so sinister. And the way that uh, Wendy later relates this and, and basically destroys K in, in the, uh, it's, it's, I mean, I was, I remembered this, of course, I've watched it three or four times before, but watching it again, I remember just how disappointed I was and how harsh it is. And, and really that is the part of control manipulation. What Tench was doing, that's domination. What Wendy was doing. And it was uncalled for. It was terrible. It was hurtful. And it just shows how emotionally immature Wendy is to not understand that a woman who potentially, if a judge at that point in time in 1980, whatever it was, I think like 83, 84, right? No, Um, I think it. What what year is it? I want to, I want to say, well, the first season's late seventies. This Atlanta goes, I believe, to like eighty two or eighty three. Okay, so it's early. Yeah, early eighties. Early eighties. I 80s. think we're at the point now. Yeah, yeah. There, you know, he there. It, it, it's quite possible that a judge could find her unfit, right? right? Because of her sexuality, and sure. that is something that Wendy goddamn knows. So yeah. to not understand that she has to play this game with her ex and to not be able to hear in his voice the kind of control he wanted to have over the situation and all the parameters he was setting up don't have him in that class at this time was really terrible and it it it, it was a tough scene man the whole thing was tough yeah and even when k when uh you know uh, <laughs> uh wendy sets up the answering machine and she calls and then she picks up and goes, I'm coming down. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> and then, but when she doesn't want her to come to the apartment and they're in like this box, almost like yes. this interrogation nice. box. Beautiful. You know, the symbolism of that rectangular, uh, the way they, and they're on either ends of it, it just added to the tension and just was like, uh, I forgot how much Wendy just is like, blah, 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 you know done you're a bartender and you know i'm like hey take it easy on bartenders uh and i mean and she really uh and, and i was like oh wendy i love you so much but i don't like you now i mean why because when K, when the sun came over right wendy um uh Kay wasn't like to wendy hey you gotta leave uh so the, if the kid ran up there he would have met her correct <laughs> like there wasn't any surprise like I, stay in the room no i, I if she had stayed no i don't think so i think what what that's why she sent the kid to the car because she was going to say if the husband had said yeah you can meet her um she would have met if not she would have said we'll keep him down here she would have walked up the stairs and she would have asked wendy to go out the back door and wendy probably oh. would have acted all hurt which she should not have and had no right to act, but she would have. Um, I shouldn't say no right. She That's is true, who she, she is. She walked out of the kitchen yeah. over to the stairs. Him think, uh, Kay thinking she's not going to be at the edge of the stairs listening. Yes. Right. And I think okay. that the re- that's why she, I mean, she asked him 
And and the thing when he said, is it someone important? And she goes, oh, no, no. I mean, obviously, that's because her sexuality was a was the end of their marriage. And she doesn't want him right. to she doesn't want to get into it with him. And it, it's not his fucking business. Obviously, do can't handle it. So it's best not. What's she supposed to say? Well, she's an FBI agent and we're kind of dating. I met her at the book. It's not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they don't yeah. have that type of relationship. So I think I can understand where Wendy's coming from, but in a sense it shows that because, and I think it's something to be said for, and it's, it's representational in film, especially how, Gay characters have been portrayed in, uh, in many films as untrustworthy, um, like sinister. If you go back in, in into like old Hollywood films, and this uh, this derives. There's great films and books you can read about gay studies and film and stuff from the idea of having to hide. If you have to hide who you are, then you're a liar, right? You you lie about everything, mm. which is not true. No. Society forces a person to compartmentalize or hide a, a part of themselves. It doesn't mean that their whole being is overcome by this. But in a sense, for Wendy, she is emotionally immature. She's just coming into herself at a later age. And I like the way th- that they allow this to happen because in a sense, when I first saw this, I was, I say to myself, is this falling into kind of that, that kind of old typical Hollywood thing where the gay character is like, blah, blah, blah is, you know, untrustworthy or such like that because they're lying about who they are. They're obfuscating their true self. And I think in this sense, it just basically shows that Wendy is going through what I think most people go through when they have their relationships, which is that when something happens that is unexpected, they are hurt by it and take offense instead of try to understand the other person. And Wendy has to grow from this experience. And I think, you know, if we did see mm-hmm. more of her, we would see that. But in all in all, just kind of, I'm just kind of summing up their relationship now. I thought that this was an interesting journey for her and this season, though I still feel it is a bit truncated, but I don't blame them because there's a lot to get through on this show and the show isn't necessarily all about her. I like that they even devoted this much time to her character and the role she played because they could have just as easily kept with the Atlanta stuff for the last three episodes solely. Right. Right. You know, and it's, and, 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 you know, this isn't a show that necessarily has been planned out for six seasons and whatever. So, I mean, there's, I'm sure ideas like we talked about, like for season three and maybe even a season four, whether it's a jump in time, a different case, but I think, you know, it, as much as I wanted to see more of Wendy, I, you know, I, I, I get they did. They really need to get her to this because she's struggling with work, the way work's not going the way she planned with with 
Bill and Holden being dragged out to an, a case and not doing the interviews and everything, yeah. her turmoil of coming out and being in a relationship where she's starting to let go, but then one thing happens and she reverts back and she ends up being the harsh one and, and destroys a relationship probably uh, because of that, you know, so. But I much like Wendy Holden is, did too, who is, who exactly. is equally emotionally uh, right. unintelligent. <laughs> oh, big time, big time. You know, I mean, it's showing yeah. it. And, and you're showing Bill, who's like the everyday man, but even it's a struggle for him. Of course. Yeah. You know, even in a uh-huh. quote unquote successful <laughs> marriage. So this was important uh, to do. And it would have been very interesting if, you know, we had season three now and we'd be like, okay, how is Wendy? What's Wendy up to now? You know, so um, well done. The emotions were there. There were two powerful scenes. And uh, wow, uh, just just really amazing. Um, all right. Let's get to Atlanta full time. How about it, Axel? Let's do it, baby. Let's all right. Move. Yeah. I just I do want to say one final okay. thing, which is um, I like Kay. I thought she was really cool. Yeah, I do too. That's I all I just want to say because, as with this show, uh, you know, I think when you read, people are like certain, like, "Oh, her character was annoying" or something. I thought she was a really interesting character, a kind of character you don't see a lot on TV. And I thought they really set up her. I really felt for her. Um, I really, really did, and especially having grown up with parents that were divorced and having stood in doorways where parents were having conversations like that, they really captured that um, really well. And when they and and the creepiness that they added to it is something that I never quite saw through the lens of a serial killer like that or in that kind of horror way, but. In much the same way that like you have like kind of the body horror of David Cronenberg, the emotional horror of situations like that, I felt that they captured pretty brilliantly. And it was and I felt it was really moving. And the situation that she found herself in and trying to walk that tightrope, I thought was it was really sad that Wendy had the ability to sit down in front of serial killers and try to empathize and feel for them. But when it came to her own life, she didn't quite have the capability of doing that. And for me as a human being, I find that can be one of the most frustrating things in life. When you see a person who like, you know, devotes their whole life to like good causes or helping people. But when you try to talk to them about their, uh, something that happened to you, they're like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, like, but everyone has those blind spots. So I just thought that was a beautiful moment by Mindhunter, and I really appreciated it. Speaking of appreciation, uh, I appreciate that Holden loves Pringles. A couple of Pringles uh, <laughs> cylinders in his uh, hotel room. I so like we got hey, once you pop, uh, you can't stop. <laughs> Sponsored by Pringles, DVR Podcast Network. Uh, so, I mean, we got a bunch of stuff here. Uh, let's, because, uh, you know, Holden's in his hotel room, $100,000 reward put up there. Oh, I want to mention oh, the Jesus. episode. Okay. I got I to gotta <laughs> jump in here on this visual. Again. The episode uh, ended with him watching the same exact newscaster in the bar. And when we see him again, 
it opens up. It's the same newscaster, but it's during the day now. So I just thought that that was a beautiful oh, touch. That was very beautiful. Did not pick up on that. That's why Axel Foley hunts minds very well. Uh, so uh, we got Garland back. Uh, he's on a stakeout. Um, Love him. With with Bill, right? I don't know why I put Holden here. Yeah, no, he's with uh, Bill. No, it's with is what bill okay yeah so they're staking out pretty much the kkk and uh i won't go into it a lot in this pod but in the hbo documentary uh atlanta missing children uh series that came on this past year uh they really go into the sanders family especially don sanders uh the kkk guys and and it's they do a lot of interesting stuff with them uh and so that's that's who they're uh pretty much case and out. I think one of the brothers, right? Um, Cause Don's the one at the police station that flips him off when he picks up his brother or whatever. Um, but you know, they, 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 they got, they tap the phone conversation. And of course it's like, I'm going to, you know, go out, get me one of them, another one of them kids, kill another one of them kids. And they, they know about Luby Jeter, his go-kart hit his truck. And so he pretty much has motive there. Um, uh, they bring them in and, 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 and like they said, these guys have been through, um, interrogations like no other. He's just like, he just doesn't give them anything. And it's, and, and it seems pretty smart for, you know, dumb redneck KKK guy, but he knows the drill. It really speaks to the cop criminal, same side of the coin type of thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or not say well just the dance that they do you know that he knows exactly what he can say to them he's been here before and this is routine and it also speaks to the conversation they had in the car when he was saying to bill hey we've been after these people but you know there's politics involved right You have to Mm -hmm. tread lightly and, uh, you know, if we can just, they might be involved in one thing here, but we could get them on another thing. Like this is a long time investigation. Basically the idea and kind of what Holden said is they were piggybacking, right? Mm -hmm. They're piggybacking the KKK investigation into the child murders and you might think that that's bad because it's it's taking away the resources they have from the child murders. Um, but in another sense, they feel that it's righteous because they're still they're helping the same community. Right. Right. And it's kind of uh-huh. a balancing game that Holden doesn't have the time to analyze that Bill, obviously, because he's adept at this, understands. And, 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 you know, you know, during that interview, even 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 the uh, do we have an exact name on who they interviewed? Axel, I have that handy. No, I don't have that handy. I apologize. I should have that because I I assumed it was Don Sanders and then it wasn't. And now I don't know. It was the brother. Yeah. So we'll just call him the Sanders brother. I don't have his first name, but he even notices. It's okay that we didn't name him. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right. right. Well, not necessarily in this show, but it's in the doc. It's very interesting. The stuff they cover about these guys. Uh, Because again, it's something I want to touch on later. I don't want to get off track here, but because I want to stay 
true to what we're seeing in the show um, without confusing people. But he even notices Holden not really into this again. It's a white dude, so but he's checking his watch, and he even picks up on that. that like this guy life. ain't dumb. This guy yeah. ain't dumb. I mean, as much as you could be disgusted by what they stand for, of course, and, yeah, and everything, which is on you know, but just looking at it, like these guys, these Sanders guys, they're not stupid, and, and, and it's so it's it was very interesting because because this almost seems like. If we were doing Mindhunter 22 season, 22 episode season, they would probably get more into them because it's very interesting. Yeah, and I think it, I agree, Solo. And I think it's interesting that Holden doesn't seem to pick up on it as much because you'd think that it, it but maybe it is a little bit of foreshadowing to the conversation he has later with Jim where he mm-hmm. questions his profile and him being myopic about it has to be one lone African-American who lives with his mother, who drives this car. Right. 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 And I think that upon this whole um, side route into the KKK here is an interesting thing that we should pay attention to because Holden is not considering the fact that just like he could use a Sammy Davis Jr. concert to lure a killer, they could use a serial killer to go out and kill as many little black kids as they can get their hands on. Yeah. He's not opening his eyes to that and to the possibility with the number of murders that they have here that it could be multiple assailants, right? So I think that that, that the idea that they wrote this scene with the guy not being a country bumpkin, right? And who actually speaks his racist words like with purpose, you know what I mean? Which makes it more disturbing. Um, I think uh, it makes a point. But I do want to say it was fucking hilarious when he says this boy over there <laughs> is bored. And then they flash to hold it. And he looks like a high school kid. <laughs> like he's like, he just kind of shrugs his shoulders. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm fucking bored. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's it's uh, it. That was funny. I can only imagine that there was a little laughing on the set or something for that shot, because right, right. in the midst of something so terrible. Um, that did make me kind of crack up. I had to pause the show for a second because I was laughing my ass off because I was like, that does not belong. What cracks me up is when, when they are talking about the concert, the Sinatra Sammy Davis concert um, is when, uh, cause they talk about Sinatra and then and of course, Jim's like, and Sammy. And then you see Bill go, oh, I love Sammy. Like <laughs> that was just yeah. so odd. Yes. I mean, it, it was only, I don't I don't know what to, it was a quick little thing but it was like okay Bill loves Sammy Davis I get it but it was just it was just a little odd like, it's just you it's that's their it's just so, human nature yeah. yeah they're good I I think that they you know I haven't seen any behind the scenes footage of them really shooting this show too much um I I think I remember seeing one thing where they were where it was a uh, behind the scenes of them doing one interrogation, but it's not something I've sought out because usually we like to speak a little bit more about 
what's actually happening on the screen, even if we um, digress. But I could only imagine that they allow them to improvise a bit and all and and feel a bit free in the especially those moments. And I, I don't know, sometimes I feel, you know, you pick up those little things, but that was a very like tench personality thing, right? Yeah. You wonder if it was hope that threw that in yeah. there or, you know, that it, I mean, Love this Sammy. episode there, this episode is one of my favorite written episodes of the season. Uh, I just love the dialogue in this, uh, in this episode. There's like so many great quotes and, it just re- there's a lot of good stuff in here. Not that and you know, just I'm singling this one out because I've I noticed it more because of course I like to say a quote at the end of the of our podcast just to make you laugh and make our listeners laugh. So I'm like always looking for quotes, and this one had a ton of them. It did. Um, uh, I do yeah. the same thing while watching, and I I try to think of which one you're going to choose. And then sometimes I, I can't help but mention it during the show. Yeah, I know. That's why I always have a few backups now because I know you're on the trail. <laughs> you're on my trail. All right. So tracking um, you. What I, yeah. So we got a lot to talk about in the montage, of course. But from 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 then, from when um, after the questioning of Sanders and number twenty. Uh, Patrick's found and with the fibers um, there's a huge passage passage of time especially like there's a five week span when they get the academy recruits and they're staking out the bridges because it looks like because the fibers were mentioned on the newscast that they even say he's going to change his MO now and now he he is he's he's got him rolled up and or dumping him into the river um and that's what he's doing now. But over this passage of time, uh, we get we go from number victim number twenty to victim number twenty eight. Axel, like I really realized that there, is there a few months that has passed, not just the five weeks. Like, I got you know it's got to be more than that, right? It was five to seven weeks, give or take. You know, yeah, um, probably about. Yeah, less, a little less than it's, two months. Yeah, This is a great episode because right after they have the conversation at the lake that we spoke about where all the stars align, which is also a, a, a hint towards the visual representation I was speaking of earlier. And I just figured mm-hmm. that out and I love it more. Thank you, David Fincher <laughs> um, or Carl Franklin, I should say. I don't know if David Fincher was on the set. But anyway. The the show takes off and everything melds together, right? And that's when Holden really starts getting less frustrated. He gets pissed off at the fucking at the Sammy Davis thing that it doesn't work out. Oh, yeah. Can't they can't even do their plan, right? The Candyman uh, can. <laughs> yeah, brother, yeah. The Candyman um, can. Uh, Sammy Davis only has one eye. What is that's the. Uh, Adam Sandler song, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Um, (laughs) The Hanukkah song. Uh, (laughs) I'm getting distracted. But anyway, it takes off like a rocket. And I love that Holden gets pissed. And like you say, they, it goes into this montage where they convinced them we're fucking staking out the bridges. I had no idea. The bodies just keep on coming, you know? And it's so, yeah, I didn't remember that. Oh, me neither. And it's so disturbing. And you're just thinking of 
you, the the montage itself does have some levity in it. The little pranks that they play on each other, both Holden and Tench, and then Jim gets involved the, when Holden takes his tie and puts. Oh my god, that is brilliant! <laughs> Jim, Celtics fan Jim Barney throws the tie. Holden yeah. takes his off too, but then hangs it up and fixes it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking great! I love oh, that. It was beautiful. And when Holden throws the sports page out uh, or the or the racetrack <laughs> thing out the window on Tench. That was that was really for me. That levity told me we're back in business, baby. That yes, was like yes. the hotel room touching each other on the leg, rubbing the leg. That was what it was, and I loved it. And it was, but like you said, at the same time, all these kids are dying, and yeah. you're getting this sense of dread. They're coalescing as a team, but nothing is happening and they just look defeated and you know, Bill doesn't want to hit the buffet. There's no fun time manga. (laughs) (laughs) Fun time's over. I don't want you to hit the buffet. (laughs) I have to get that one in there. Um, That's a lot. Yeah. Thank you for people Uh, who don't know. That's a Sawyer quote. So what are we, what are we real quick? What are we like three or four years from our lost rewatch? Cause you said you wanted to watch it with Locke when he was like 15 or something. Well, I I think 12 (laughs) or 13 and he's eight. So we're getting there. So we got about, about four yeah. or five years. He's Can't gotta, wait. Yeah. Okay. Because to understand the emotional stuff, you have to be a little bit older. You know, yeah. he's had to have like a crush on a girl that broke his heart. Then he can really understand loss. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry. But this whole montage is brilliant in that sense is that it it's not just a passage of time. It's a growth of a team. The way Holden goes from kind of looking at looking around and saying everybody's asleep or, you know, at to going to taking the radios and making a noise. So the guy's waking up to finally, he just said, he just slaps him. One of the dudes, right? Like he just pushes him and he's like, wake up, you know, like they're becoming a team. They're there. It's, it's a beautiful montage. The music is fantastic. Um, the bug spray holding the puts the bug spray on his face. I love like it. Sprays yeah. it. And then they're he, all he does sitting. the Dexter killing the, the bug on his yes. arm. Mosquito. You're right. You're right. And then he gets one. Then Bill gets one in the back of his neck. And then they're all waiting in the diner. You're like, what are they waiting for? And then it's to, for the, um, the ointment, the skin ointment, ba- whatever it is, uh, Bacitracin or whatever for the mosquito bites. Alamine lotion or yeah, whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it it was it was really brilliant but again you're right none of that all of that is great for our characters but we're left to question and even as it's going on i'm like what's going on are they yeah is anything happening they're just sitting and waiting and then you see the sheriff gets upset too we've just been sitting here waiting that sheriff. You know? i love that actor he's so good what casting on this show oh my god um, but we finally get the break the we last f- night, they're going to shut it down because it's costing way too much money. 42 officers with overtime uh, every day. And and that's the true life story, which it's not just for Hollywood. It literally, yep. that moment happens on the last freaking night. And it's amazing when you hear, I heard a splash. Like, I had forgotten, like, it wasn't super clear. I know it from the book, but 
oh, am I a book reader? Wait, no, book listener. <laughs> I'm not a book listener. Um, Wait, I love they finished you... the books? Oh, no, that's another, yeah. that's another podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love it when you read one page of <laughs> Game of Thrones and you're like, I'm a book reader now. I'm a book reader. <laughs> um, but like, like you hear, like there's so much going on to play with everything going over the radios. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm awake. Yeah, I'm, oh, here. I'm here. And then all of a sudden you hear, I hear a splash. And, yeah. you're like, and it's like, what? And, you know, and it just, and you're like, is he going to get away? What, what's going on? Um, so. Oh, I just wanted to just, comment. What oh, you, please, what you said, is he going to get away? Because you hear it and everyone starts up their car and you see like the lights. But then Jim is the one who's sitting there on the bridge and is all alone. And you see the guy come over. Right. Right. And then he, Jim's talking and you see lights kind of move and you're like, oh, is that is that holding intention getting him getting getting the suspect from the other side? No, he's turning around, coming back yeah. towards Jim. And for a second, you know, even though, like I said, I've seen this many times before, I still was like, is he going to are they going to have an altercation here? Is what what's going on? Is Jim going to get him? But Jim remains in control. Right. Yeah, follows him. The other guys, Celtics fan Jim Barney, Celtics fan Jim Barney, (laughs) and then they all do the nice, you know, cross in front of the car and hem him in, move, gets out of the car, and that's when you have the line I said before, which you probably remember better than Wayne Bertrand, Wayne Bertrand Williams, and and for those of you, I know we sort of spoiled it before, but episodes ago. At one of the crime scenes, there's a guy taking pictures with all the media, and they do a shot mm-hmm. of Wayne Williams there. Yes. It just for those, you know, some of you, you know, there's a reason why. So of course, most viewers are like, "Wait, why did they?" If oh, you don't it's... know the case, you're like, "It's very deliberate." Yes. Um, but if you don't know the case, you might miss it. Or I mean, most Mine Hunter watchers probably got it, <laughs> especially people listening to this pod. But it's just it's nice to to, to see it. And and it's just like, oh, my gosh, they, you know, I mean, I know the story. So I, it's like, uh, but, you know, you're like, OK, did did this guy dump a body? Is this the is this it fits the profile of Holden? Mm-hmm. Um, but but you would think looking at him versus looking at the Sanders brothers, you're like, come on. But I love how Holden and it reverts back to the, the little experiment he did in Baltimore with Greg, like. All right, first of all, this guy has to be a talker to lure kids in his car. Would kids go into a white man stranger's car? You know, they are talking about when Holden gives the kid for the arcade 10 bucks and, it's, and he's like, you know, and finding out, you know, $5 for a picture. And now it's like, wait a minute. If this whole thing is these kids trying to make some money to help their families or feed themselves. And there's a str- there's stuff going on yeah. there. They're building, With, you know, you're right. We, yeah. we, we didn't talk about that brief. Uh, well, it's, it's two scenes. The first scene is when Holden and Tench are in the hotel and they meet up with, um, damn, I again, apologize for not remembering her name. Um, I thought, was it Tanya? Oh, shoot. Barb. Barb. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, <laughs> nice callback to 20 minutes ago. Um, but anyway, she explains this is the arcade. 
it's right by the hotel or kind of really almost in the hotel complex it seemed like yeah because it because it looked like a mall yeah i thought it was just going to be like a small room in an arcade but it it's like a big hunting ground as holden says but you know you see the walden books there and other shops so it's almost like i guess the hotel's near like a mall type yeah that was not i re i rewound that to see if they gave us they cut right to it so and then they and she's there with them and then they kind of walk back and you can see i think like a hotel entrance so yeah so i guess it's right there yeah, i was confused they, too about yeah, that yeah they had did not re- i i feel as though i rarely feel this in mine hunter but i feel as though there may have been something cut where they established that better and then they were just like fuck it it doesn't really matter you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah like a walk across the street or exactly, something or, that we don't yeah. see and it just it's not Vegas. <laughs> yeah, but it might be, though, because I don't know. You know, there are malls yeah. like that. I know in Jersey there's malls like that. So, you know, in other places there are. So, I mean, I don't know. I only know malls in Jersey because I'm from Jersey and malls originated Jersey City. in Jersey. Um, but um, this, what they're setting up, which goes back to the brick house, which goes back to... The invest the investigation that they had four episodes ago about the child molestations that were also going on. So we are seeing that in this case, though they still have all these bodies dropping, they they were making strides. And the way that they were making strides, as is illustrated with Holden talking to the young kid, is doing the street stuff and trying to speak to people who actually know what's going on and listening to them, which is not what seemed to be happening. It's either politics, right? Or Mm -hmm. people don't give a shit, but you see what happens as soon as holding gets the information from the kid that like, you know, 10 bucks, five bucks, gets you a picture, 10 bucks, gets you this. He's they're all, and they, like you said, they, they formulate this idea that they're all hustlers, right? You have this kind of subculture happening. Now, maybe it's one or many men are taking advantage of it. They already have evidence of a crime being committed, which is either child prostitution, um, sexual exploitation is happening already as if that wasn't bad enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, and this is something that is kind of glossed over in a sense, but that's because they're getting to the murders, but that just illustrates the issues that plague this city, right? Perhaps Mm -hmm. America all criminal justice system, (laughs) of course, but I think they illustrate it very well because also you see as soon as Holden shows his badge, the kid runs away. Yeah. So it's a catch 22 in a sense of how they're figuring out and what they need to do is they need, more people like Jim and more people that um, people can trust. And he, uh, Jim already figured out a lot of this a couple episodes ago. Remember? Yeah. And he follows through by telling this young uh, detective or officer, look at all these cross check, all these people with the sexual history that live around um, the stadium and this house, mm-hmm. and we're going to try to figure that out. So I like that because that's not how they found the guy. They found the guy because they heard a noise on a bridge, right? Like Holden right. said. 
Yeah, but the splash. Yeah. It shows the police work that's going on that may help bolster not only bolster up the case, but shows that there's a whole like kind of hidden underworld that no one was paying attention to where kids are being exploited. Right. Right. And and, and I do want to hit real quick, Axel. Um, so the whole thing with the simple politics that get involved with just making flyers and posting them in different counties, that whole side little thing yeah. with that one with that one detective, uh, the cop, uh, basically breaking it down like you got a work order, you got to you know you got to get this approved so you can get this funding from it, and that was I mean Holden's got all this stuff, and then he's like, well, in four days we can't get it done, like. It reminded me of like the thing with the crosses. Uh, it just shows how, I guess, with the FBI, you can get things fast-tracked, I guess, uh, or eventually you can, but uh, I guess not here. But what, did you, what, did you, what was your take on all that frustration there with, with that well, whole thing? Well, I mean, I think it illustrates something that I know, I mean, from the, not only from the books, but I mean, we know in general just the red tape and also uh, the bureaucracy that gets in the way, mm-hmm. I think, was frustrating to them in many ways. In the same way that the only reason they're there is because the president got involved and they want to showcase, right? And Gunn is hot, like the hot new guy that wants to showcase the profiling. Everything is a show. And what gets lost in it is the kids. I think that's that's what it speaks to me is that, you know, why wouldn't you just when we had, you know, when you have issues like that, like why Holden doesn't just take it, use his own money and go print up the fucking flyers himself Two is (laughs) maybe and maybe what we'd see that happening eventually. You know what I mean? Where they could take more of a control over that kind of stuff. It also illustrates solo that even though they're so successful and we've spent a couple years with them, they still don't have the funding or power to cr- to kind of get shit done themselves. Right, right. It's they, not there yet. Yeah, yeah, they're still having to rely on the local people to do this or that or quantity, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. they can't just kind of say, "Hey, put it in all put it on our card." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, that's a great point because, you know, I, I thought ahead too much in history where, you know, the FBI has amazing resources, yeah. but the profiling and everything is so yeah. at an early stage. This is the first big case that really that they're doing yeah. uh, nationally that, yeah, that maybe those things aren't in place yet. Now, profiling and everything is so like everyone, even normal people know about profiling, you know, through, you know, of course the evolution with John Douglas and all the profilers, but like everything that's been on TV, like criminal minds and this podcast, this podcast, of course, our work. So the work that we've done in serial killer and crime solving solo has not only changed the world and podcasting, but it influenced minds that we hunt all over the world. You know, you're right. And uh, even during the montage when <laughs> M.E. by Gary Newman was playing, um, <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking the same yep. thing. Yep. Well, um, and also the at the end, uh, it's the song is Hell is for Children by Pat Benatar in the closing credits. Awesome. 
Awesome. So man. just to throw the mine hunter tunes out there. For yeah, everybody. I did. Oh, I wanted to add one last thing to the um, mm-hmm. to the bureaucracy thing, which is it reminds us as an audience. And when I think back and us heading into the final episode here, only only one more to record, pal, is oh, wow. remember back in the day when they had to hide that they were hunting mines you know what i mean like they couldn't even go interview people they weren't even they weren't even supposed to be out on a case with people so we've come a long way but not long enough like there's still some road to travel to legitimize the work that they're doing and i think that 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 kind of reminded me of that coming into the end of this episode because so you know like the cases they're doing are on tv and stuff and it wasn't like that in Mm. the beginning right it was in the back of a bar some cop who was sad and like and frustrated with the case asking them for help and and now they've come this far and this is a huge case that you know we know about and there's separate documentaries about everything and they're the ones doing the case they're just not interviewing the um uh, the the uh, murderer after they're hunting them, and I think that that, yeah. that kind of reminds that little those little things reminded me of where how far we've come in these two seasons, baby. Yeah, it really has, and you know, over the last several years with the whole true crime boom, with podcasts and podcasters and investigative journalists open cases up and they're you know getting results. Unfortunately, a lot of these cases don't they don't get the end result you want but it opens it up and gets it back in the public eye and you know you have your web sleuths and everyone working on it but it's pretty amazing how just in reopening and the things are like i didn't know about the atlanta child killings till about uh i guess four years ago maybe when a podcast came out uh, about it and then i started doing research and the whole john douglas thing and then mindhunter came out so it was just, it was like opened my eyes to a lot of cases that I, you know, I remember growing up in the eighties. I don't remember hearing about it. I mean, granted I was very small and probably wouldn't have known, but um, it's just amazing the different culture now and how uh, some of these cases are getting looked at again yeah. because of people hunting minds. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, great episode. I look forward to the finale we going through that axle yeah, me and, too. The, and the stuff and the stuff, the future stuff we have planned for our DVR podcast, mine hunter listeners. Uh, and remember go to uh, DVRpodcast.com for all information about our network and become a patron. You can go to patreoncom slash DVR. So any last words, Axel, as we uh, join uh, Nance at the mall. And I think Barb's going to join us too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to figure out who the fuck Barb is. That's what we're going to do. You know what? We're going to do a whole series and we're going to get David Fincher and we're going to call him up and we're just going to ask him who's Barb. And he's going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And it'll be a, a whole thing. But uh, I thank you, Heath, for guiding us through this again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We love you. Thanks for the thanks to the patrons. And uh, I look forward to this final episode. It's a long one, too. It's like, what, an hour and 15, an hour and 20? So um, I, I can't It's a nice wait. long one. Yep. Well we'll, well, we'll tackle it, Axel, and we'll give it its just due. 
probably going to be a two hour pod, but yeah. we're, that's what we do. So, all right. For Axel Foley, for I'm Heath Solo for the DVR podcasting network. Take care everyone. And remember as Celtics fan, Jim Barney said, I love to watch white men jump. Peace. <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> that was great when he said that. And then the one, the, the one guy goes, "When we catch him, it's going to be some cracker with his teeth missing." <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, so funny!" Oh man, Jim really is the best, man. John, yeah. We love Jim Barney. You know, if they if they are not able to get, um. Holden to come back, Jonathan Goff, because he is like super busy. And I think that would really be the only person that they couldn't get to come back. Mm. Um, maybe Anna Torv. I think that a Jim Tent show would be just as satisfying to me. Yeah, no, no. It, you know, uh, I mean, we love Holden and Holden is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but if especially if it's a jump in time. Yeah. Uh, Jim and Bill wouldn't wouldn't disappoint me. No. Because awesome. I'm actually Bill's my favorite character. And without Bill, I would probably struggle more me than too. without Holden. Yeah. Just to, I agree. You know, even though I love I love them all and, and Jim Barney and Anna Torv and you know, Gunn and I love the whole crew. Dude, uh, I just I do came miss up- the love interest though, if the love interests aren't in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like because well, they've had we've had some great uh, actors, especially Barb, a.k.a. Nance, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, though, the gym, if if there was a gym intense show, it's almost like the last season of uh, True Detective. It could, that's oh, what yeah, it could be. It would be. Like, you know what I'm saying? Where yeah. Jim is so smart and sense, like you just you really get into him and stuff, and then just like in True Detective with the Stephen Dorff character was a little more rough, right? Little, mm. you know, a little gruffer. That would be cool. Little man. Jonathan gruffer. Yeah, little Jonathan gruffer. All right. <laughs> Are we done recording? I think we'll. we'll I don't know. This is bonus. This content. is bonus content. I'll add this after the music. All right. Oh, oh man, Barney. I'm fucking. That was great, dude. Dude, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. That really uh, awesome. was very satisfying. 